Michelle Donnelly, and this is the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose, and that you can do it right through the things that God is carrying you through in your season as a single mom. Here we talk about all of the things that matter to a single mom, but most of all, I hope you found a place where you feel like you belong. Let's get started. I'm so grateful you could be with me for this conversation today. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly. When it comes to recovering from trauma and specifically abuse, it can be difficult not only for ourselves, but then to know how do we take our kids through this healing experience. I'm joined today on the podcast by Justin Holcomb, and he's here to talk to us about just that. Something I've learned in my season as a single mom is that loneliness actually does not have that much to do with being alone. Hurt from our relationships in the past causes us stress around relationships in the present. And the ways that we have learned to deal with that stress can help us to feel safe, but actually keep us away from the meaningful relationships that we desire. To start to unravel this, to identify your stress style and discover the pathway to healing, you can take our quiz called What's Your Stress Style? And you'll find a link for that down in the show notes. In this conversation, Justin does give us some of the nuts and bolts of things that we can practically do to help our kids through this healing journey. But probably the thing I appreciate the most is the fact that he just points to the fact that our own healing is something that just shifts the environment in our homes and allows God to do the work both on us and on our kids. Here's my conversation with Justin Holcomb. Justin, I am so glad to have you with me. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Michelle, for the invitation. And I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yes, Justin, this area of trauma recovery is somewhat of a minefield for us personally. And then being able to walk our children through it as well can be very difficult. This seems sometimes that there might be triggers flying all over the place in our households. And it can be hard to know what to do in a variety of situations. So I want to know, though, if you would just help us get the basics and start us off understanding kind of a working definition of what trauma is and what the causes are. Absolutely. And and trauma, most people think trauma is extraordinary. And it is not because it's rare, but because of the effects of trauma and how common it's not rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, different numbers of, you know, in the United States, 61% of men and 51% of women report exposure to a tra- at least one traumatic event in their lifetime. That's from the sub- Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. And their definition is what I'm going to present. Uh, individual trauma results from an event, series of events, or set of circumstances that is experienced by an individual as physically or emotionally harmful or life-threatening and has lasting adverse effects on the individual's functioning and mental, physical, social, emotional, or spiritual well-being. So that's from the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services is from the concept of trauma, page seven, if people are looking. But what that means, let me summarize, there's really three dimensions or three components of that definition. There's an event. The event could have been a person or uh, an incident, 
It could have been direct exposure. It could have been witnessing a traumatic event. It could have been indirect. So there's an event. So there's trauma includes an event. Two, it's an experience that trauma has a subjective element that depends on the person's experience. A traumatic event doesn't require that someone experiences it as traumatic, just the way they are or their awareness of it. Uh, so event, experience, and the effect, the adverse effects. Trauma always has and comes with adverse effects. And as the definition said, it could be mental, physically, emotional, spiritual, psychological, a whole host of event or, or effects. So event, experience, and effect are the three components. That's helpful because you hear the language thrown around, like that's traumatic. Um, and they usually are talking about small T traumatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what we're talking about is big T trauma and the effects of trauma and how it affects the memory, how it affects biological, your physiology, your social. So we'll start with that as uh, as the definition. You know, I, I really appreciate there that you mentioned that there is a distinction here between the big T and the small T. The effects can often be similar, but I think sometimes with small T trauma, we've assimilated it into our lives. So we don't even notice it anymore. So for example, you could grow up in a household where it's not overtly abusive, for example, but there can be these little events that are chipping away at They're somewhat eroding your sense of yourself, that you're having anxiety around your relationships with your family members. You're having difficulty with connections and trust and all of these types of things. And that is traumatic. And just as traumatic, for example, as as witnessing something that's major, but over, it's just, it's somewhat, it plays out somewhat differently. And I think sometimes we either can minimize the small T trauma or we can overlook it. We may not even really recognize it because it's been normalized to us, but that these two categories do exist though. And understanding, as you said, there's an experience though, and there's effects that comes from, that come from these things. Then we can start to, to key into that part and say, Hmm, yeah. well, if these are the events, big or small, how, how did I receive that? How, how did that impact me? And now what does that look like as I'm trying to deal with this anxiety that keeps like flaring up and, and how do I live out of this thing? Absolutely. I mean, think, think through some of the type of events can I mean, to, to go to the big T, small T, but also um, the definition. Can I, can I give some of the causes for trauma? Yes. I think that'd be yes. helpful. So yes. I mean, nat- natural disaster, I mean, a tornado or a hurricane can be a traumatizing war, terrorism, community violence, just the idea that, that there's a type of uh, violence out there that is random, intentional or unintentional, just kind of for the sake of death or terror, uh, that's traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Experiencing physical, sexual, psychological, verbal abuse, and then witnessing it. I mean, the fact that 10 to 15 million children a year witness domestic abuse, that's traumatic for them. Yeah. Yeah. The death of a loved one is traumatic. Neglect and bullying, uh, intimate partner abuse, uh, immigration, just migration. There's racial trauma. Mm -hmm. There is medical. One of my daughters a few years ago was just sick for three months and scared us to death. It was right before COVID. We're not sure what it was, but I mean, all the effects, but it was intense. Mm -hmm. And, and she, you know, she almost, she, she was feeling 
a little bit silly that being sick had such an influence on her. I said, honey, I feel traumatized by it. And I didn't go through it. Um, That's that's medical trauma or illness injury or injury experiencing being adopted or being placed in foster care can be, can't, I mean, while there's could be great good in being adopted, there still is mourning and there could be trauma of the shift. Um, especially for teens, what's heartbreaking is experiencing as LGBTQ plus, which just cultural trying to figure that out, that can be traumatizing or mm-hmm. th- so there's a whole host mm-hmm. of uh, incidences. It's not only abuse. Abuse is one of the, um, Abuse survivors are second to suffer PTSD only mm. after war vets. Mm. So abuse is a major way, but not the yeah. only way. So this is not, I mean, bullying. I, I and Now, most people who are listening to a parenting podcast are going to be more attuned to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's helpful. But some people will be like, oh, it's just kids being kids. I mean, they're not being abused. They're not being beat up. No. Uh, their entire social life is being put at stake and their identity is being uh, uh, dragged through the mud and they're bestowing a different identity than what God would want that child to know as their identity. Mm. Like that's traumatizing. Bullying and neglect is traumatizing. So I want to expand the scope. We don't want to make everything trauma Mm -hmm. because if everything's trauma, nothing's trauma, big Mm -hmm. T, but we do want to, and, and the list I just gave, those are causes for big T trauma. Um, not just trauma in general or small T trauma. And again, I'm not minimizing the small T trauma, but I just want to be really clear on those. Sure. Yes. No. And and because you're so clear on that list, we can see number one, that it is not rare, that there's such a, a, a grouping here that encompasses so many experiences that we can understand this is common. And that combats some of what you even just mentioned and what your daughter was talking about. Sometimes we do feel silly. Sometimes it's like, well, am I not tough enough? that I can't just like work through this thing. And, you know, well, it's not as bad as somebody else's trauma. And that's often what happens is we get comparative with some of these things. And really and truly, the f- I think one of the first things is being able to say, yes, I have experienced a trauma. Yes, something really difficult happened to me. And it's okay. I don't need to compare it to somebody else or whatever. It's okay if this is hard for me. And we can start there as a point to move forward. But if we're, you know, comparing and minimizing and all these types of things, then we don't make it to that next step. Yeah. Yeah. What you just said is there's a word for it. It's just acknowledging and the gift Mm -hmm. of either acknowledging to yourself or someone else vocalizing it for you. I'm imagining people hearing you right now and thinking, okay, I'm not crazy, but you just, you just acknowledged that, uh, their effects and their experience was traumatic. And you're not just being dramatic. You're not mm-hmm. just being high maintenance or the certain, you know, you know, all the words that people would use to minimize or deny how they're feeling. You're not being dramatic. You're not being high maintenance. It was traumatic. And let's call it what it is. Let's call a thing what it is. So you can actually kind of actually deal with it and its effects. Yeah. One, one thing you alluded to also, Justin, was the fact that where many of our listeners may have experienced intimate partner violence, that the children have also received trauma. Even if the abusive acts were not directed towards the children, if they have witnessed it, they're aware of fighting and all measure of violence in the household, then they have received or they have experienced trauma then through that experience as well. 
in our kids' day-to-day lives, their day-to-day functioning, how might we see some of the effects of that kind of trauma playing out in their behaviors? So let me, let me give you the, for children across the board, and then I'll go through some kind of age, developmental age um, ideas. Yeah. So across the board, you're looking for expressions of fear, anger, avoidance, withdrawal, aggression. Those are the big umbrellas. Now those Fear, anger, avoidance, withdrawal, and aggression get played out in different areas. So let's look at young children. So we'll look at young children, elementary school age, and then adolescence, because there's those are expressed in different ways. So for young children, uh, it, they experience a continuing and pervasive fear. So fear is going to be the main thing. They, they haven't learned how just to cover it over and put the best foot forward type of thing. There's a little uh, in the beauty of how God made people and how we develop, there's a rawness to it. So they're not hiding it. And so that it's, it's clear, it's, it's horrifying just to see children having to suffer fear like that, but there's clarity. So fear and what you'll see practically is increased crying and nightmares, clinginess to the parent or caregiver, uh, such as like when they're struggling, like, you know, if you're going to be separated for, you know, nursery or preschool or babysitter type of thing, clinginess, regression in developmental steps um, that they had previously outgrown. So they've developed through sucking their thumb or wetting the bed or certain things. So you see a regression in some of those developmental stages, a significant change in sleep and eating behaviors. Uh, They might lose interest in playing with certain toys or interacting in certain ways that used to bring them joy. And so just a withdrawal from that, either because they don't feel joy, they don't feel like they deserve to feel joy, or their mind is somewhere else, their emotions are somewhere else. And then repeatedly focusing on recreating the elements of the event, depending on what that event is. So those are some for for younger children. Let's look at some of the uh, elementary kind of just getting into school, you you know, kindergarten to up to adolescence. You're going to see fear was the predominant e, uh, emotion response for young children. For school-aged children, you're looking for increased anxiety and worry, particularly about safety, mm-hmm. uh, safety for themselves. That's mm-hmm. when the question, um, you know, I wasn't safe. Am I safe now? Like I thought I was safe before and, mm-hmm. and I wasn't. How do I know I'm safe now? So less fear, more anxiety. Again, there's overlap between fear and anxiety, yeah, but it's sure. expressed more as anxiety. Another dominant one is shame or guilt. Uh, they, 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 unlike younger children, internalize it as if they were somehow responsible for this trauma. They could have done something. They could have responded differently. So uh, then you'll see, like we said, with the younger children, practically how does this play itself out? It plays itself out in a difficulty of paying attention. Mm-hmm. So, attention span. So that could play out with some difficulties in school. Uh, Also, biologically, physiologically, they might develop pains and aches with no identifiable medical cause. Mm -hmm. Because the body, as we know, the book title, The Body Keeps the Score, um, your lower back pain might be because I worked in the yard or it might be because of stresses going there or Mm -hmm. the effects of trauma are going there. And then like younger children, sleep disturbances, nighttime, difficulty falling asleep, and then startle and aggressive behavior responses is another. And then move to the third. And so we had fear, anxiety. And this one is uh, for adolescents. You're going to see a 
uh, struggle with healthy coping in relationships. That's the dominant um, uh, marker or effect or behavior. Um, there's where there could have been some piece, that piece is gone and there's aggressive, uh, un, not unhealthy coping. And some try to pretend like they're okay. And so there's a withdrawal because of a lack of desire to be vulnerable. They like the uh, middle group, they're internalizing it some, but you can only internalize so much and you have other skills, which is, no, I can put my best foot forward like I'm doing just fine. Mm-hmm. Minimizing or denying type of um, responses. And then you still have some shame, but you, with adolescence, you're going to start seeing that shame lingering long enough that it also what accompanies it is depression and maybe a desire for revenge. You'll see language behavior that looks depressive or vengeful and then becoming increasingly argumentative or perhaps and engaging in self-harm or risky behaviors that could look like sexual um, expression or substance use, drug, alcohol uh, use can, can uh, start accompanying usually at adolescence. So, um, I'll stop there, but that's a lot for each one. But there are fairly clear indicators or clues that there's something happening. Um, now, again, that's not always the case, but uh, the, the ones I gave are are mm-hmm. visible. You can hear them. You can see them. You can kind of your intuition kicks in and you can Absolutely. notice something off. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that as a single parent, we know, regardless of how we got here, there's a trauma that has occurred maybe even multiple traumas that have occurred in our families. And so when we see our kids engaging in these responses, we can trace it often very specifically back to at least the moment of whatever caused us to become a single parent or, you know, whatever we know, the history, family of origin type stuff, all that kind of thing. But we know that our kids are dealing with the fallout from that. And so it can be really frightening and just, I mean, overwhelming to think about, okay, I'm still trying to deal with the fallout of this. How in the world do I get my kid past this? Have I done something or have, has something happened now that is irreparable and this is the way it's going to be for us? And and that's what I've seen quite a bit is one, you have parents who are dealing with their own trauma and how that one parent deals with their trauma is not the same. How another, how one of their children deals with trauma Mm -hmm. because of developmental, but also personality. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I I see a lot of guilt and shame. Usually people who've experienced trauma, especially if you're a single mom, um, majority of those cases are because you were on the receiving end of sin and crime and harm and abuse. And many, many single moms would feel guilty. Uh, I didn't do it right. Regret. And so the voice of condemnation is really strong. Um, As a pastor, I, that's what I see most commonly. And as an an abuse uh, survivor advocate, that's what I see a lot of. Um, And so, um, yeah, imagine as the listener, um, you don't have to imagine. I mean, we don't have to imagine. I can imagine. I'm giving a list of trauma responses of children to people who a significant amount, if not the majority of them have experienced trauma themselves. So I'm describing yes. themselves to themselves. Right. 
Um, and that feels overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would feel overwhelming to me. It'd be feel overwhelming for my child to experience this, let alone me navigating healing and hope through trauma I've experienced and its effects and trying to be an aid. But honestly, just to encourage uh, the listeners, what others and Satan intends for evil, God is so creative and sovereign, he can bend evil doesn't make evil good. He bends evil is still evil into a way that he can leverage your hope and healing as the best way possible for your child. The probably, so some of the single moms, I want you to know probably the best person and most likely the best person for your child is you. You Mm. You're not damaged goods in any fact of because of the trauma you experienced. God loves your kid more than you do. And will empower you because when we're weak, he's strong. And it's in the places where you probably feel the most inadequate and weak that God could very likely be using you in probably the most redemptive ways possible with your child. I don't know how that always plays itself out. That's just in the Bible all over the place um, that God has revealed. It's called a theology of the cross versus a theology of glory. We always want to look for the capable, the strong, and the uh, got it together because that's where God's using. God's using that. Well, actually, he's using a cross for redemption. He's using injustice and humiliation of his son to take away shame and guilt. He's uh, he's taking the filth of what Jesus experienced to make people clean. He's experienced the humiliation and the nakedness. So we're robed in righteousness and adopted into his family. That's a theology of the cross. Um, And it's unlikely because the patterns of this world are empire and strength. Mm -hmm. But the kingdom of God is... Uh, he uses the lost, the little, and the least because he likes being glorified in the best way that he's glorified. And mm-hmm. so people don't think it's some shtick mm-hmm. is that uh, he doesn't always use uh, the people we think he would use. And so while you have that voice of condemnation in your head, uh, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And God is likely going to use you as the primary um, created person thing uh, that's not him for the health and hope for your children. Yeah. And I, I want to affirm everything you just said, 5,000 bajillion, there's not a number for it percent (laughs) because we oftentimes can feel so unqualified. Like if I'm dealing with my garbage, how in the world am I ever going to get my kid through this? And in the reality, as I've walked through my own stuff is as I become aware of my needs and allow God into the place of wounding to allow his healing, then I can look at my kids in their needs and see their wounds and invite God in our household through me, through my caregiving to, to just allow my healing then to be something that I'm a conduit for it. It just flows outwards into our household. Now there is the, you know, some separateness on our kids part that there will be points where they won't be able to fully receive this, or there's some things that they are going to have to choose as they get older, right? So it's not like a slam dunk that, okay, everything that I've got, my kids are going to get directly from me. But if we have fear that we're going to be part of the problem, we also can be encouraged that we're, as you said, we can be the best person to help deliver that healing solution. And that is just even as you referenced, you know, Genesis 50, 20, where, where Joseph is saying what you meant to harm me, God meant for good. Not only did Joseph receive the blessing, 
But as we look down, his, his sons received the blessing. You know, this was something that went on generationally. And it talks about the fact that Joseph lived long enough, though he went through all this pain, he lived long enough to have great grandchildren. And yeah. that this is something that our, some of our stuff that's been handed down to us has been handed down to us. There's some things that maybe we've done, but there's some things that were given to us, but we can be that stopgap with the help of the Lord to say, nope, stops here. And Mm. it's as far as it depends on me, I'm going to choose the path of allowing my healing to become the legacy that continues from here forth. Mm. Amen. Preach. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. But Justin, I think the thing though, and you, you pointed, I love the, that you use the word condemnation because that is a huge part of this trauma experience is the fact that this is where evil has intersected our lives. This is where the devil has allowed these horrendous things to, to be an, a, an affront on us, our personhood, our purpose, all of the things that God has designed us for. And in that, it's also an affront to our relationship with God. And that there are some spiritual implications of trauma that can be the difficulty and be a barrier for us to receive some of that healing because there's a disconnect between us and God. Would you speak to that a little more fully? Yeah, it's the work of the devil and it's the vandalism of shalom. The vandalism of peace is the shorthand. There's a few things that are lost and there's a few. So there's there's good that is minimized and there is evil that is actively um, added to our experience. So there's the loss of hope, the loss of a future, the loss of intimacy and peace, the loss of wholeness, the loss of spontaneity, loss of innocence, loss of trust. Those are good things that are distorted or tarnished or lost or taken away. There's some, there's moral injury. There's fear. There's distrust, there's guilt, there's shame, there's a bestowal of an identity, damaged goods or filthy. Uh, and, and there's a, um, you know, there's a the meaninglessness is given. So those are some of the major areas that, that it affects us spiritually. Those are both emotional, psychological, but also spiritual. Um, and so the disgrace is because we because we're Christians, we talk about the grace of God. I like to get an umbrella term and use disgrace. Under disgrace are all of those losses and active evil that comes at us. Um, and, and that looks like guilt, shame, minimizing, uh, um, unhealthy anger, despair, and all of those mixed together makes a powder keg. And then people start feeling guilty because I feel angry and I need to minimize. I don't want to, if I grieve, then I'm not showing faith. There's a, there's a theological, there's a voice of condemnation. There's also a theological editing. I, if, if I'm grieving that I'm not trusting God, anger is evil. So I can't do that. That's apparently a sin. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, despair or depression is proof that I don't have faith. I mean, so we end up theologically like pulling the rug out from underneath ourselves where God is saying the opposite. He was like, and, and we can get to that later unless we want to talk about it here, but yeah. uh, he, he's not, he's not saying, no, no, stop crying. Show faith. Why are you doing being sad? Well, I mean, he, he's not minimizing. He's actually inviting us to participate in his response to the yeah. trauma. Uh, but those are the spiritual effects. That, that was the question. I want to. I want to. Yeah. I do want to pay attention. Which are the spiritual implications of trauma? There's a list of things that are lost, 
And there's a list of things that are actively negative and evil toward us. There are three words every abuse survivor must hear. God hates abuse. Plus One Parents has released a devotional for abuse survivors called Safe Haven, a devotional for the abused and abandoned. Safe Haven is a biblically-based guide to abuse, giving you the tools that you need to identify it, respond to it, and heal from it. Safe Haven is now available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook formats, and you can locate a link to purchase your copy down in the show notes. I appreciate, though, that you referenced there that there is often a misconception of where is God and what does he think during this experience? And sometimes where that comes from is either the responses we received from caregivers or even from other church leaders, people that we maybe trusted um, that either were well-intended and had it wrong or were not well-intended and were abusive. And so we have this understanding of God that has been marred also by Mm -hmm. what we've seen lived out in front of us as far as how our needs were responded to. So when I felt scared, did I get a, oh, it's fine, don't worry about it. And then we may turn that towards God and say, okay, well, if this is the way the adults in my life have handled me, then are you the same? Are you the same way? But there's a way that we can correct this understanding though. Would you talk about how we can move in that direction? Yeah. Let's, let's start with scripture. Uh, Scripture's view of children is unbelievably high. That's what, that's what children need to see. And uh, we can expand this to just people who've experienced trauma not just children, but what a child what I think would be particularly helpful for parents is the biblical view of children is really high. Uh, they're humble in heart, Matthew 18, four. Um, and, and so that's helpful. Part of God's law in the giving of the law at Mount Sinai was that no one should mistreat a child, Exodus 22, 22. The tenderness and care that Jesus showed for children is an expression of God's heart in the Old Testament revealed and repeated and intensified in the New Testament. God has a heart for the small, the weak, the vulnerable, all throughout the Old Testament. You hear that. And then you hear that and see that in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus showed striking interest in and love for children. And he often included them in his teachings as the example. I mean, the the disciples were so shocked because this didn't fit the culture. Um, There's more of a, well, children are a blessing, but, you know, seen but not heard. Um, and then you have Matthew 19, a famous passage where uh, people were bringing children to Jesus so they would pray for him. And the disciples rebuked the people and they were, said, you know, Jesus has better things to do. And Jesus said in Matthew 19, I think it's 14, let the little children come to me. Don't don't slow them down because it's for them that the kingdom of heaven is here uh, for to such belong the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, bestowing the kingdom of heaven to the children. And so Jesus wants, Jesus is, in the Old Testament, God's response is tender, caring, active. Jesus repeats that and embodies that and then hands over and says, okay, my followers are to honor, protect, and care for those who are vulnerable and small and uh, especially children. So that was a hallmark of Jesus's followers is that they had a, they, they related to children differently. Mm-hmm. And he referred to children as messengers from God and made it clear that our treatment 
of children speaks volumes about what we really believe about God. You look at Mark 9, the way he talks about and equates the two. So I think the, the first thing I want to say, and, and we can pause and unpack if we need to, but is look at the Bible to look at how uh, Yahweh in the Old Testament, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but particularly God incarnate in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then in the body of Christ, the church, the community of the Old and New Testament also has this as a hallmark for how we are. So that's uh, the correct understanding of God is that he knows, he sees, he cares. Mm. He's not far away and distant. He's not enacting suffering because he believes in karma and you did something that you deserve and the evil that you're experiencing is because God's getting you back. Uh, we don't believe in karma. We don't believe that God is super far away and uninterested. We also don't believe that God's a divine spark, a disembodied spark in us, and we are somehow really the divine. We're not curving inward. We're looking for someone from the outside who is powerful and loving, who will act on our behalf um, for hope and healing. And that's the picture of God's disposition toward those that have suffered trauma. He has compassion. He grieves the trauma we experience. And so we're invited to participate in his sorrow. God is sorrowful over the suffering we experience, and we're invited to participate in his suffering. He's also angry at the trauma and suffering we experience, and we're invited to participate in his anger for it. Um, and I mean, I think of Jesus, Jesus, I don't remember where the passage is. There was a, a person who was afflicted with some type of medical, biological, or maybe spiritual uh, dis-ease. And it said that Jesus, basically the word is he was unhinged. And it looks like he was like, fell on the ground crying, but also in anger. And it's a really weird word. I remember diving into it. And I was like, oh, He's sad and angry at the effects of sin. Mm -hmm. The same way he he wept when his friend died. He's he was sad at death. He's sad and angry because God is sad and angry yeah. at trauma. And that's yeah. the appropriate response. Where he's sad, we participate. Where he's angry, we participate. And that's helpful to know. He's not distant, far off, like a deist version of God mm -hmm. who says, "Well, I gave you the rules. If you do them, things will work out, and you'll be blessed." Yeah. Yes. Uh, right. He says, no, no, um, I'll come near. I'm God for you. I'm God with you, but I'm also God for you. That's, yeah. that's the summary that I want people to hear clearly. I love everything you just said. And I, and I think one of the things that has been so pivotal for, for me in my healing journey is recognizing that Jesus was the, the, the example that he gave in his physical body, what he showed us through his reactions, that is God that yeah. sometimes we may think like, okay, God, the father does this, but Jesus, the son did this. And it's like, we need to pull those things together and recognize that this is the God who walks with us, grieves with us and is angry with us over the things that we've experienced. That was just such a catapult for me. And then being able to go back and read things and you read scripture all differently, you know, and then you, know, you start, these things start popping up everywhere. So I saw, you know, in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, where it says, here are six things that the Lord hates, seven that he abhors. And you just go through the list and it's all things that are abusive. It's all things that are manipulative and divisive and hateful and all of this. And so we can know God has a righteous anger that he absolutely hates these things. 
And we may wonder, okay, well, but I had to suffer it and I had to live here and this is what my reality is and all that kind of stuff. And there is a wrestling with that part of it. But if we can enter into the space that God is not separate from us in this experience, that he is grieved with us and angry and sorrowful with us in this experience, then we can bridge that gap of not understanding all the pieces and being able to say, okay, but if you're here in this with me and my reaction is actually not as strong as yours is to this thing, then that opens the door for me to start a relationship. That opens the door for me to start asking questions and being curious. And that actually, where sometimes we think doubt is pushing us away, sometimes that, that questioning is the very thing that God is using to pull us in closer and where we really start to experience that healing. Absolutely. I mean, the shorthand uh, that I'm, I'm a theology professor also, um, and in addition to being a pastor, a minister, I'm a seminary professor and I teach theology. And I love to just tell people, if you want to know what God's like, look to Jesus. That's, that's kind of the mm. theologians. That's what they say. Uh, what is God like? Look at Jesus. Jesus. He's the God man. He's, he's the work of God and he's the, he's the disposition of God incarnated. And there's an amazing uh, article by famous theologian. His name is B.B. Warfield. And he wrote an article years ago. He's a Princeton seminary, Princeton, yeah, Princeton seminary, you know, a generation or two ago called The Emotional Life of Our Lord. Mm. And it's a theological treatise on what does Jesus's compassion mean for how we understand God? Mm. I mean, the fact that a theologian wrote an article called The Emotional Life of Our Lord, yes. not, not to minimize emotions, <laughs> but to go, wait a second. Yeah. Jesus was really emotional, emotional. Mm-hmm. emotive. What does that tell us about God and what it tells us about God? And his big thing is, his big word was compassion. That is suffering. Compassion means suffering with. Yeah. Um, pa- passio is suffer. C-O-M, com is to with. So with right. suffering. Um, and that's why I said, God is with us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And we also learned that God is for us. The work of Jesus, the apostle Paul says, God, Jesus died on the cross and rose again for our sins, for mm-hmm. us, for our redemption. God is with us and God is for us. That's his disposition, disposition toward us. Now, Justin, as we start to walk then in this renewed understanding of God and where he is with us. And maybe as we're starting to engage these questions with the Lord and we're starting this journey that may also then change some of the way that we approach our kids. So as we are seeing them deal with these effects and they are acting out in those types of things, we may see what was passed down to us, see those rejections and dismissals that we received as kids and say, okay, I don't want to do it that way. What are some things that we can point to as far as, okay, the things I want to stay away from and the things that I want to move towards. Yeah. So some positive and healing ways of responding. Uh, the great news, this is something that's really encouraging in a whole different field that we're, we're not addressing here specifically. Um, well, we, we're getting close to it, is um, people who have suffered uh, sexual or domestic abuse. And they've asked them, what, for an adult, what is the top response that's been helpful in this, this psychology uh, quarterly journal said the only social reaction that is beneficial for survivors of abuse was being listened to and believed. Mm. I love telling people that I, I just gave a talk at a church a few days ago and 
being able to tell people, well, you don't, you don't need to write a book on abuse. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to become a medical doctor or a lawyer or a therapist to be used by God in a powerful way because we can all listen and believe. <laughs> um, so I want, all the, I want all the parents to hear that for their children. While we were talking about, well, I've been traumatized and their trauma, how am I supposed to do this? Well, really powerful thing is listening and believing. Loving your child is the foundation. So there's some practical things now, which is yeah. providing, uh, providing a sense of safety. And so that might look like explaining why they should feel safe. Again, it's all on the tone. It's not like you should feel safe. It'd be like, mm. oh, no, you're safe because of this. So uh, mm. articulating clearly. And again, this is going to be, these are all going to be age specific in, in the sense of how they're applied. So I'm not going through three different ages and developmental. Yeah. I'm going big picture. And depending on the age and development of the child, parents can apply it. Uh, providing a physical sense of safety. Um, that could look like holding, rocking, hugging, demonstrating, not just with words, but demonstrating tangibly uh, that that they're safe. Um, and so making predictability is helpful, that they, they can count on you show up when you say you're going to show up as best as you can. Um, so establishing safe conditions, such as shielding them from potential danger or being near a perpetrator or... Uh, so showing them the steps you're going through for their safety. So that's, again, that's embodied uh, safety and explaining it to them. Another big one is um, responsive care. Uh, is It helps with their uh, stress response system. So secure relationship with a parent or caregiver that's sensitive and responsive, not distant, because sometimes when people need us, we kind of, Recoil. I can't fix this. And so we kind of back up. Mm -hmm. That's when, if you can't fix it, what you can fix is responding with kindness and patience as best as you can when you're yeah. tired and frustrated. Like, I, uh, I'm not in the middle of any trauma in my life and I'm just tired. And it's hard for me and my children are experiencing trauma that I know of as being exhibited. That's just hard in general, yeah. especially when you have this added intensity. And so, so engaged nurturing care is associated with lower stress hormones, increased resilience, and better adjustment in children. That literally just responding in kindness and not taking the bait or escalating um, and, and kind of bringing them back down. Because um, in one sense, I mean, I, I say this not in a domineering way, we're the parents, we're in charge. We can kind of set the tone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and let them, they're just kids. Let them let's be like, hey, It'd probably be a more helpful way to talk to me than that. Um, so another one. So one, it, the, the first one is safety. The second one is engaging and caring response. And the third one is reframing, positive reframing. Mm -hmm. A child's going to have a hard time making meaning. And again, where I'm not trying to distort and be like, oh, this is meaningful now and this is good. No. How do you interpret the trauma and how do you frame it? And so parents have a reframing role, parental response of positive reframing, emotional expression, and acceptance of it. Not again, hey, we accept this because it's good and we're inviting it. We're saying no. Um, um, and again, not minimizing. It's not, oh, this it could have been worse, but a positive reframing, expressing your sadness. A parent crying doesn't make the child feel unsafe. It's like, oh, they're sad too. Okay. And they're angry too. So 
a appropriate emotional response. And it's, it's kind of like with, with death, uh, accepting the reality of death. That's what we mean by acceptance. Like, yes, this is a loss and this is bad. And this was evil. And that lowers the distress levels for a child. And so providing opportunities to talk mm-hmm. about the trauma, offering positive coping advice or reframing of the trauma um, is, is, is seen. I mean, basically um, the things that we would naturally do if you love your child is actually what actually increases resilience in them and better coping and adjustment through it. Mm -hmm. And I see in my own journey, these are the spaces where allowing God to reparent us then gives us the ability to actually make these things it just becomes an outflow of our relationship with him. And there, Amen. so there's a time I'm listening to you say these things. And I'm like, I know that there's a time in my life where I would have been like, yeah, but how do I do that? <laughs> and, yeah. but really though, you know, as you're talking about being listened to, that's one of the things that I, I never appreciated prayer quite the same way as I do mm-hmm. now, because going through all of this prayer was the place I was able to just continue to turn and knew over time, I, I had this final sense of like, yeah, he listens. Like, not always is it going to change right away, but I know that sense that I have in my spirit as we're communing together that he's with me in it, that he's listening to me. And then I now have that peace that is in exchange. I've given you my, my anxiety, you've given me peace instead. And that's what's outpouring to my kids. That is what. Mm is allowing me not pure willpower to be able to say, okay, you're annoying me, but I need to be patient. Like (laughs) it's the peace that I've received from knowing that I'm listened to and I'm being responded to. And God is showing me that I'm safe, that that is the thing that I'm able to turn towards my kids. Then when I am just like at my wits end and pour into them, you know, but I think a lot of times we're like, you know, we're white knuckling our own lives. And so that's, that, that's what we pour into our parenting. I'm, I'm smiling because what you're describing is the entire Christian life. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> like, because, because God has listened to us and loved us being listened to and being loved is not alien to our experience. Yeah. And now we have a category of, Oh, all I'm doing is giving to them what God has given to me. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah. not white. That's exactly what you're saying. I'm not somehow conjuring up love and listening from this empty pit of nowhere, but I'm actually taking some of the listening, loving God has given me and going, Oh, I know what that's, I know what that feels like. I know how powerful that is. Yeah. How about some of this? I mean, so think about that, like yeah. making space when your child says, well, how do you feel? I feel like this. And then be like, like, how cool is it for a parent to look at their kid and go, I think that's how I feel too. Yes. I think you actually, and I don't, I don't always say it because it's not always how I feel. But when I, when I sense it, I actually say, I say what I see. And I've looked at my girls a few times and said, my girls are 11 and 13. And I've said, you put into words how I feel. And they're not mm-hmm. even my, emo- they're, they're my emotions, not yours. Like, yeah. I love your insight on that. Like ways that you can set up your child to realize that they, again, they're not, it's not a self-saving thing, but like, Hey, God's giving you wisdom on this. Like that's, that's really yes. insightful. Thanks for putting it that way. Thanks. And then thanking them. Like, thank you for being honest. Cause it's not easy to be vulnerable. Ad- I tell my daughters all the time, like it's hard for adults to be vulnerable because we feel weak and we mm-hmm. interpret vulnerability as weak, but it's actually really strong. That's really impressive that 
you're so confident in who God made you that you can say that because yeah. most people can't like finding ways to affirm because they don't know how to articulate their emotions on a trauma. Like, I mean, find out anywhere you can to affirm. And then when it's the voice of condemnation, I mean, and they're being lied to by evil, then by all means, that's when you go, I know why you feel like that. But that's not true. Yeah. That's not who you are. Then you yeah. you speak forcefully at the lie and the evil, never their emotion. Mm. I love what you just described too, because this is where God works even through our children to speak truth towards us, as you alluded to, you know, when we're talking about how scripture is so affirming of children that God will work through our kids to speak to us too. And so that's just really the Holy spirit moving through our entire household. And sometimes even if we don't know, like, okay, if I don't feel great about how do I lead family devotions? Like, if I don't feel like that's something I feel strong in, it's like, that's okay. Just engage your relationship with the Lord and whatever nugget he gives you that day, go share it with your kids, you know? And, and very often, you know, he's giving us just the right thing at the right time. And our kids might not respond how we hope they would in the moment, but they're, they're a repository. They're collecting all these things as they go. And, you know, as you said, your kids are, you're, daughters were 11 and 13. I've got a 13, 11 and four, and I'm still in that space of believing like, this is all going to work out this way. Right. God, (laughs) but I can remove myself from the outcome. And I think that's the thing that is so, so empowering about this is, you know, when you've gone through trauma, you feel that now the outcome is going to be negative and you may be doing everything you can to try and, and manage the outcome, but healing is so much more about process and we say, Lord, I'm going to give you that outcome. I, I know you're the God of redemption, that you can do all, all of these kind of things and whatever you want to do in my life to pass on to my kids. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not responsible than beyond that for what they choose in, in their adult lives. But as far as it is right now, while they're with me in my house, I'm just going to go towards you. I'm going to ask you the hard questions. And I'm going to trust, though, that you're doing something in this. Yeah. And that through process, we'll just continue on. Amen. God, he, he brings life from death. That's what he's in the business yeah. of doing. And uh, um, no, nothing, like, as he said, nothing, Satan cannot grab us out of his hand mm. uh, and nothing can pl- take us out of his hand. And that means Satan, but also not us. We're not as powerful as we think we are in the destruction that we fear we're bringing because mm. <laughs> he cares about our kids more than we do. That's so um, and that's just, that's encouraging for me. Yes. Uh, I, so I'm, I'm preaching to the choir on that one. Justin, I am so grateful for the insights that you've brought to this conversation. At the end of every conversation, I ask each guest the same question. And it is, if there was just one thing that you would want a single mom to know, what would it be? God knows, loves, sees, and cares for you. I imagine as a married parent, um, I know I can, I know how hard it is. And I have a spectacular uh, partner and a wife, uh, but like just partner in parenting. I would imagine feeling un- unappreciated and overwhelmed a lot. And it makes me think of Exodus. I'm not equating single parenting to slavery, but in Exodus, God's people were crying out. And, and I love what the Bible says about God's response. He's like, no, I, I, I know. I hear your cries. And I see, and I love you, and I'm going to act. Um, and that's what I want. 
that's why I'd love for them to know. Um, uh, sometimes the church and the world and ourselves say lies uh, to us. And I'm, I'm imagining that one of the lies could be that um, you're, this, is, this is a situation because of something you did. Uh, I know how condemnation works. Uh, premarital sex, uh, abortion, or whatever is the, the reason that this is your cross to bear and you've caused this and deal. So I just know how lies of Satan and condemnation and karma theology mixed together is a burden and the great joy that our sins are forgiven, that he races our shame and that he brings life from death. Um, and he, he, he knows he sees, he cares and he loves. Mm. So I, I would like, the voice, uh, I'd like to say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And however that plays out in the specifics, in the nooks and crevices of your soul and life, uh, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He applies the redemption that Jesus accomplished. He did the work and the Holy Spirit applies it. And the Holy Spirit is faithful because he loves pointing to Jesus, who is happy to work out the plan of redemption that the Father gave him. Amen. Mm, amen. Justin, would you tell listeners about your resources and how they can follow you? Sure. The easiest place is uh, my website, justinholcomb.com. So it's Justin, uh, H-O-L-C-O-M-B, as in boy.com. And we have both some articles from me and my wife. I just do most of the, the writing on the website. Uh, I've written a few books with my wife. Uh, one is a a book for hope and healing for sexual assault survivors. One is hope and healing for intimate partner survive, uh, violence survivors. Uh, so one's called Rid of My Disgrace. Another one is called Is It My Fault? Rid of My Disgrace is for sexual assault survivors. Is It My Fault is intimate partner abuse. Uh, we also have uh, some children's books on helping have the conversation about appropriate and inappropriate touch so we can help children protect their bodies. And, and also uh, some mini books um, and so on, on the book page, it has just all the resources that are there. And, and some of my more academic kind of nerdy stuff is there also, but I like the nerdy stuff too. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just the one place to go. And it's kind of the launching pad for any, any of the resources that would be available as blogs, or there's some free chapters. Uh, I, I do, especially, on in, in this setting, um, the book on intimate partner abuse, is it my fault? In the back, we actually have a thing called making a safety plan. And it's a few page PDF because that's the most dangerous time. As your listeners know, the most dangerous time is when you decide to leave an abuse, an abuser, because that's when all types of violence increase, especially the threat of death. And so having a safety plan is a key. We actually have the PDF from the book, the publisher. I was like, can you just make this free? Don't make people buy this for safety. If it happily, we'd love to. So there's some resources, some free chapters there that that safety plan, I give that out left and right. And so I, as a resource for the podcast audience, that something I think might be useful. Yes. And I will include links to all of those things in Great. the show notes to make it easier for the listeners. But Justin, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Thanks for the opportunity to... Um, share the hope we have because of Jesus and apply it in this, this realm. So thanks for the opportunity. If you found this conversation helpful, I've got a couple others I can suggest. Check out episode 108, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, Finding Soul Rest and Redemption in Encountering the Kindness of God with Dr. Dan Allender. You might also enjoy episode 80, Fight for Joy, Raising Your Kids with a Legacy of Faith with Rhonda Stoppy. 
We'd love to invite you to get involved with the Plus One Parents community. You can join us on Facebook or Instagram at plusone.parents. And on Facebook, you can join our private Facebook group, Beloved Collective. Also at plusoneparents.org, we are constantly adding new resources related to all of the topics that we cover here on the Christian Single Moms podcast. That's everything from parenting to dating to spiritual and emotional well-being. If you'd like to stay up to date on the new resources as we release them, you can join our mailing list there as well at plusoneparents.org. I'm so grateful that you're a part of this community and that you were able to join me for this episode today. I pray always that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.